thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, continuing our run of Fantasy Football Wednesdays. And that's not going to stop anytime soon. Eventually, the Cust and Garyan will be on to make fun of my top 200 ranking. That's probably going to be in two weeks. We've got a lot of open championship stuff next week. And if you don't care about golf, well, we'll still have a football show either on Friday or Wednesday next week as well with Jeff Radcliffe from ProFootballFocus.com. You can hit the description and find all of the previous shows, all of the previous rankings that we've done so far for the fantasy football season. And if you, you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, two ways to do so. One, smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and tell me your favorite last round pick of the 2019 fantasy football season. That's one way. The second way, go subscribe rate, download, and review the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, five stars, DraftKings handle, something nice about the show, boom, you'll be in that draw for 20 DK bucks. Winners announced on next Monday show. Wouldn't miss that one. Me and Feinberg talking about which losers that we're going to bet for the British Open, and you will lose money if you follow us, so just fade us, and maybe you'll win money. Joining me today to talk about some strategy, his early thoughts on the football season, and his book, which we need to get to number one overall on Amazon for football. Not just fantasy football, but football. So everyone, go buy the fantasy football black book on Amazon. It is Joe Pizzapi. What's going on, man? What's up, Pat Mayo? It's so easy to say nice things about you. Everyone should go out there and review your show and say nice things about Pat Mayo. What's hard about that? I, I mean, I did just have to plug your book, so now you have to say this kind of thing. Yes, that's very true, but that's a relationship you and I have. A little this, a little that, everybody wins. And uh, But seriously, I appreciate you having me back on the show. It's been a while, and congratulations. I haven't been on the show, I think, since you became a daddy. So look at that. Welcome to the club, my friend. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. As people can see, I'm getting worn down over the months, and football is just starting up. So by the time like November hits, I'm going to be in really rough shape. But tell everyone, well, about, tell everyone about the book this year, who contributed, and what they can expect to find in it. Well, look, our goal is to get better every year, and uh, we're kind of like the cool indie version of what's out there in fantasy football. We're the AEW in wrestling terms of fantasy football because we're not the big box, uh, big-time CBS or PFF or anything like that. We're the indie promotion, basically, and uh, we continue to just be crushing it out there, and I'm very, very proud of the product we put out there this year. Uh, It's myself doing the relative position value, all the quarterback stuff, and draft strategy. We've got a great group of contributors this year. We've got Jake Seeley, Matt Franciscovich, they're back again. We've got Nate Hamilton, Derek Brown. Oh, we got Scott Bogman, who's my co-host on the uh, on Fantasy Black Book podcast. He did all the rookie profiles. We have over 100 rookie profiles. So if you're a dynasty player, it's an incredible read there. Chris Meany, my co-host over at Line Star app for the DFS show. Uh, he did all the DFS content for it. We've got IDP from Gary Davenport. It is a, it is a who's who. And uh, it really is incredible because you think, Next year will be actually 10 years of the Black Book, and we've never had a major sponsor behind us, nothing like that. All is is basically me and my friends going out there and putting out some great fancy content and relative position value, which really does change the game in a space where it is so impossible to separate yourself from everybody else nowadays because everybody's getting fed the same amount of content, same stats, same everything. So how do you separate yourselves? You separate with RPV, and the fact that people have such massive success with it, keep coming back and keep growing the product, uh, it's cool. It's one of those viral successes, I guess. I'm very, very proud of it. And I think this year, the way we broke down uh, specific chapters for draft strategy. So we really dig into P 
PPR as its own chapter into standard, into Superflex, and even into best ball this year too. So people, because more and more people are playing all these different formats in this season. So we have to cater to everybody and not just one draft chapter that covers things. I'm talking standalone draft strategy chapters, talk about core building, talk about pitfalls, talk about everything you need to know. And uh, I am super proud of this year's version. And uh, look, I mean, that's a pretty good sell job, right? I mean, what more do I need? Yeah, listen, I, I mean, I have a very firm stance against best ball drafts, but that's me. But we'll talk about some best ball strategy. I don't want to play in any of these leagues, but I do know that people out there <laughs> r- really seem to enjoy them. Nothing like drafting a thousand teams, Joe, and then claiming you're right on everyone. Oh, 100 percent. No one's ever wrong. Ever wrong. Is that is that is that the strategy, though? Like, uh, I don't want to. You know what? Spoiler, that's exactly the strategy. You're right. No, like, look, with best ball, I think what happens is a lot of people are just hungry to get involved. And I think for some people putting their knowledge ahead of time of what they see certain situations becoming, uh, what certain rookies they think can impact, what people in new positions, uh, new offenses can possibly make an impact. And I think for the prepared, knowledgeable owner, there is a bit of an advantage out there if you're taking calculated risks. It's also a different kind of situation where uh, certain players that you might not love in week-to-week fantasy but might put up better cumulative numbers. Like, uh, for instance, Amari Cooper is a guy that I know everyone's really excited about Amari Cooper this year. But basically what was different about Amari Cooper when he went to the Cowboys? He had some massive, incredible games. That's great. And a bunch of other games where he caught three balls for 30 yards. So that's pretty much Amari Cooper. But at the end of the year, Stats look real good. Guys like John Brown, maybe a lesser version of that. Those are the kind of guys to me that fit that best ball as opposed to the weekly because you don't know week to week what their involvement is, what their return on investment is. Okay, let's talk about relative position value for a second. RPV, it's basically the main selling point, as you just gave us the sell job, of the fantasy football black book. So are we talking about this in terms of quarterbacks or do we want to talk about it in terms of tight ends right now? What do you think is more important? Uh, well, look, I'll tell you what, let's talk about in terms of tight ends, because that to me is the most stark comparison you could see. We can have a quarterback too, if you like, but uh, what relative position value is, basically, it takes no whatever the format is you're playing it is, and it basically compares RB1 as its own position, RB2 as its own position, uh, same thing, wide receiver, tight end, all that stuff. So you take the top 12, let's say, just keep it kind of simple, and the top 12 tight ends going into this year, we have the fantasy league average, right, about the points and and it takes a mix of previous season stats, three-year averages, and projections, weighs them together, pops out a number. And then you have the RPV, which is how much better a player is than everybody else. Like, you're going to do your top 200 rankings, right? That's terrific. That's great. It's great debate fodder, all that stuff. But what does it mean? RPV quantifies those rankings and those tiers, and that's how you get something different, something better, and something more useful to really create an approach and a strategy instead of just informed opinion. It's a bit more. This year, it's an all-time high for Travis Kelsey, and he is a plus 50 in a full-point PPR better than the Fantasy League average tight end one. That is a staggering number. Usually the number one guys will somewhere top out, somewhere in the 25, even 30 range. But the fact that he's a 50 just tells you exactly how incredible his value is coming into the season. And part of that is a knock on the position as a whole. Rob Gronkowski has some huge RPV numbers back in the day in his heyday. The difference is there used to be that soft underbelly of tight end where you had Delaney Walker, you had Greg Olson, you had a lot of guys in that sphere that you could fall back on, rely on. Did they have the upside of Gronk? No, of course not. The upside of Jimmy Graham and his Saints days? No, but they were getting touchdowns. They were part of the offense. They were integrated into all that, and they were useful. Now that soft underbelly is gone. We've got a lot of young kids who have yet to emerge. Uh, We've got some rookie tight ends, too, who are intriguing, but The fact that Kelsey creates such a huge advantage and the deeper the league you go, if you're a 14-team league, 
that advantage goes well over 50 if you own Kelsey. Now, the good news is only one team is going to have that advantage. But if you're late in drafts, especially a 14-team league, I think taking a strong look at Kelsey at 10, 11, 12 is the way to go. So 10, 11, 12 is where you would start considering him. I've seen him go as high as number five overall in some drafts. And this is a topic that's come up on almost every single show that I've done so far because I can't wrap my mind around it. How early do I want to take him in? And when we talk about relative position value, he's so high versus the other tight ends. But what does that give him versus, let's say it came down to like the seventh pick. And maybe this isn't a situation people will find themselves in. But let's say six running backs go off the board right away. And then you're sitting there and you go, you have like Hopkins and Adams available, or you have Travis Kelsey. Is that a spot where you would consider Travis Kelsey? Or would you still have the top two, potentially top three, four, five wide receivers before taking him? Well, that's an outstanding question, and that's why you get the big bucks, Pat Mayo. And the reason is this. The, the reasoning of why you still take DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams ahead is because, quantifiably, you can look when it comes back to you in the second round, Ertz, Kittle, those kind of guys are still advantages. The problem is if you're going to pass on the big-time advantages, the guys like DeAndre Hopkins, the, the big-time running backs were still available in the middle, like the Melvin Gordons of the world, you're going to fall behind into the negative at running back and potentially wide receiver too. Because wide receiver is terrific. The only trouble with wide receiver is once you get past that first elite group, there is a drop-off. And you got to hope that guys like Ridley, guys like Mike Williams can actually make that leap forward. But then there's a significant drop-off from the end of two into three. So you got to make sure you get some of those guys early and often. Uh, The problem is if you take Kelsey too soon, you run the risk of being behind in those other spots. And maybe you do get lucky and a girly slips all the way. I doubt it. I think as we get closer, and we see more of Todd Gurley in preseason, people's fears will be a little bit uh, assuaged and they'll be able to get their mind wrapped around, oh, maybe he's not that bad. Maybe all the sky isn't falling after all. But I think 5-6, that's a little too early. I think when you get towards the turn in drafts, you could definitely make the case. Now, if you're a 10-team league, that's a little different too because then you are getting a huge advantage with Kelsey and there's a little bit deeper of a pool. It's that 12-team league where I think if you overdraft Kelsey, I think it'll put you in a problem too. But there is a definitive quantifiable advantage to having Kelsey on your roster this year. So you mentioned Kittle and Ertz as potentially second round values when you look at everything overall. I don't know if they're both going to live up to what they did last season. That's the concern that I have. Not just because there's natural regression, just they both had outstanding seasons. And you can see the blueprint for Travis Kelsey and how he could have potentially an even better year than last year. And the consistency has been there year after year after year with him. With Kittle, Kittle's awesome. Like No no one's going to say that he's not awesome. But a better quarterback is coming back, so that should theoretically help. The team has gotten better. Maybe the, there's more of a running game. Maybe he doesn't just have a whole bunch of, like, 74-yard catches this season. Maybe he gets tackled on, you know, half of those, and all of a sudden he's not close to 1,400 yards. So would you have a problem taking Ertz and Kelsey in the second round? Like, is that – because that seems too high to me. I would want them, like, the back end of the third, early fourth, but it seems like I'll just miss on them if that's the case. You know, for Kittle and Ertz, yes, I prefer to have them in the third round. You know, that top of the third round, I think, is a great spot for them, especially if you're the one pick, because if you're in that one, two, three, and you're getting an elite running back, you'll probably end up with an Adam Thielen type wide receiver or somebody in that range seems to be ADP wide. And you want to load up on the big tight end. You want to construct your team with the big running back, the big wide receiver, and the big tight end. That's a great start. I'm with you a little bit. I actually prefer to either I'm going to have Travis Kelsey or I'm going to just let the tight end market come to me. And the reason is we really don't know if O.J. Howard is going to take that next step forward. I would love him to. I'm a big Bruce Arians fan. No one bigger than me. I mean, look at my head, for God's sakes. God knows I love Bruce Arians. However, I think when you look at it, too, you have to understand 
it, it, you're better off taking shots later. I think you take another shot on Trey Burton. I would even, believe it or not, take a shot on some of these rookies because I think Hawkinson and I think Fant could potentially break that mold because of the offenses they're in and the way they might want to get utilized. And I understand the whole mindset of, well, we never have rookie tight ends make a fantasy impact. But we could have dialed that back a couple of years ago and said, well, we never have rookie quarterbacks make a fantasy impact. And then Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson and those guys showed up. And then Baker Mayfield and all these other guys. So I think we have to kind of shake that notion of it never happens and look and say, well, why not? Why not take a shot on one of these guys? Because if they do become a, a mid, let's say they end up as tight end six or seven overall, that's a fantastic return on investment. I think it's the guys in the middle where it gets a little dicey. I think I love Hunter Henry. I love Njoku. They're terrific talents. As long as you get them at a reasonable rate, I think it's fine. The problem is reaching for them. To me, I think puts you in a deficit because you're passing on wide receiver and running back depth, and you're going to need a bunch of that between bye weeks and injuries. So when it comes to uh, RPB as it pertains to quarterbacks, how early is too early right now for a quarterback? Or is this a situation where you, unless one of the very elite guys somehow falls to you in the back end of the fifth, the sixth round, that this is something that you should address in the 10th, 11th, 12th round? Well, look, if you're in a single quarterback league, my advice to you, and I'm sure you've heard this ad nauseum, everyone out there, is to wait because quarterback is so deep this year. It's, it's deep every year. And this is why I like super flex leagues because it changes the whole perspective. Uh, the way you have to make sure you have the two quarterbacks or even three quarterbacks uh, is really important. And that's how you create an RPV advantage. You have two QB ones. And you're playing well, QB1. Well, 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 hold on. Well, let's get to Superflex in a minute, though. Just in standard 14-team, <laughs> one in quarter. Standard, in standard regular old single quarterback leagues, taking Mahomes, I can understand if you're going to take him third, fourth round, somewhere around there. I prefer to try wait to the fourth if you can. As late as you can get him is fine. After that, I understand some people think Lux, some people think Rodgers, Watson, all those guys could contend for number one. But it makes no sense for the same reason as before. You are going to be in a deficit. The once you take Mahomes out of this group, there's still just you know small percentage points difference in RPV between these guys and a guy like Kirk Cousins who had good stats last year can absolutely be a QB one. A guy like Carson Wentz can rebound absolutely be a QB one. So there's so much depth at the position you only have to start twelve. A guy like Matt Ryan who's going for almost five thousand yards two years uh, in the last three, nobody seems to want this guy and he'll go in the ninth tenth round sometimes and that is absolutely who you want to take. And to me, I, again, I let that quarterback position come to me. When I start taking a quarterback in single quarterback league is if there's a, a guy like Matt Ryan who's a distinct advantage who slipped. Otherwise, if that ha does not happen and he goes earlier than I anticipate, I'm just going to, again, be one of the last guys to take a quarterback or even take two and play the matchups. There's no reason. I know it's hard, but you need to have the discipline to not take a quarterback super early in single quarterback 12-team leagues. Well, looking at it right now, in PPR formats, Pat Mahomes is going on pick average 32. That puts him ahead of Devonta Freeman, Karrion Johnson, Stephen Diggs, Josh Jacobs, Julian Edelman, Devonta Freeman, George Kittle, and right behind, like, A.J. Green and Marlon Mack. Like, that seems kind of crazy, right? It does, but I think that also comes, look, I'm also of the mind that Patrick Mahomes can repeat as the number one overall. A lot of people think, oh, it's impossible, it's not going to happen. I, I think you will. Uh, if you didn't, if you don't, and if you don't, to me, I don't think you were watching what that guy was doing last year. I think that that's a little early. I would prefer to have the Edelman's, the Digs, the depth on my roster at those positions for the aforementioned reasons. Where as you start to get deeper into wide receiver and even deeper into running back to a certain extent, you're going to start taking shots, and it's much more difficult. Whereas you know, Kirk Cousins is going to be the starting quarterback. You know, Carson Wentz has got a huge deal. 
you know Matt Ryan is, is a lock. He's got 12 games indoors this year. My God, with a terrific offense. So there's no reason to reach. What you're seeing in that ADP, Pat, is the star value. And that's what happens. It used to happen with Aaron Rodgers. Now it's happening with Patrick Mahomes, and I can't blame people for it. He is still an advantage, but to me and the single quarterback, I need those other guys because if you have that distinct advantage of Mahomes, but you miss out on all the other guys at running back wide receiver to do it, then basically you took that advantage you had with Mahomes and just kind of marginalized it, and that's not a good way to go about your season. And there's a distinct possibility that he finishes as quarterback one in fantasy this season, again, yet doesn't outscore everyone by two and a half points a game. And then the gap between him and everyone else just isn't pronounced and you've completely wasted the pick. It's exactly right. And, and we'll see what happens with the Tyree kill situation too. But, and not only could Mahomes come back to earth a little bit and still be number one, but some of those other guys that we were just talking about, Deshaun Watson could elevate this year, potentially with a healthy, if, if QT and Will Fuller stay healthy and Watson himself who was playing with a bruised lung last year through part of the season stays healthy, who's to say that he can't elevate himself and all of a sudden the, the gap closes because of the rest of the pack being better than they were last year, not just Mahomes coming back to a more reasonable uh, platform and, and floor of touchdowns. Yeah, and you could just draft Josh Allen in the last round and win your league because he might be QB1 because we all know how great Josh Allen is, right? Well, I, Josh Allen's fun. Josh Allen was my favorite DFS quarterback in the last couple of weeks of the season. I will say that. That's for sure. But I, I think guys like that, you don't even have to take the risk. There's so many other dudes there, the Philip Rivers of the world. They're just safe. They're, oh, you know what so they're gonna screw Philip Rivers. If I want my 13 points a game, I'll draft Philip Rivers. Uh, no, I, wa- no, no. I want a guy who scores 50 or zero, Joe. That's what I'm looking at. You, you have that reverse, though. Philip Rivers screws everyone. That's why he's got so many kids. Say. That's good. Well, at least it's one. There you go. You're welcome. That's pretty good. Easy dad jokes. You're going to be there pretty soon. Don't worry. I'm I'm just looking at fantasy football calculator right now. Uh, Pick number 94 is Royce Freeman. Pick number 95 is Bears defense. And pick number 96 right now is LaShawn McCoy. We've entered a world where LaShawn McCoy is still currently a starting running back. He hasn't been cut. He hasn't been benched. Nothing. But he's going 96th overall. Like, is he just a legitimate do not draft? Or if he's still there by the time the preseason rolls around, do you just take him and hope for the best? Nah, look, when you're talking about the 90s and you're taking shots on guys, I got no problem taking a shot on McCoy. But personally, I don't know if he's going to be the starter or the standalone guy. Between drafting Singletary, between bringing in Gore and Yeldon, I, I don't know. It just seems like they're ready to move on from LaShawn McCoy. And let's not forget, too, it's not that long ago LaShawn McCoy had a lot of bizarre personal things as well. So you could certainly put him into that <laughs> into that questionable role. Why are we hanging on to this guy? The future's now. The future's Josh Allen. Let's keep moving forward, and I think the Bills are going to keep moving forward. Uh, I don't have a problem with taking him in the 90s. I think it's fine. Uh, Royce Freeman, same thing. I- at least uh, when I look at both of those guys, I'm rooting for Philip Lindsay, but how often have we seen Denver kind of screw the pooch with those kind of situations? You know, you make the case for the Bears defense even around there, too. Maybe you're better off taking the advantage of the Bears defense, and this is why you don't want to let it come to this, Pat. You don't want to make stupid decisions early on, like overdrafting a quarterback or overdrafting a tight end, so you don't have to worry about LaShawn McCoy or Royce Freeman being useful for you. Yeah, I, I mean, even at this price tag, I don't think I can pull the trigger on LaShawn McCoy because probably Josh Allen leads the team in rushing, which is bad news for any of those <laughs> running backs. I mean, Singletary, yeah, like five rounds later, might as well take a shot. Maybe he ends up becoming the starter. He'd be my preference of all the Bills running backs. Actually, my preference would be to have none of them, but if I had to pick one, it would be Singletary, right? Like, you don't want Frank Gore. 
No, you don't want Frank Gore. I'll tell you what, it would not shock me if TJ Yeldon became useful. Okay. And this is more in deeper leagues. And I'll tell you why. Last year, Yeldon was very good in that stretch. He played uh, for Leonard Fournette when Fournette was out. When he first came in the league, that offensive line, the Jaguars, was dreadful. That line greatly improved. And all of a sudden, guess what? All of a sudden, TJ Yeldon looked pretty useful as an all-purpose running back. I think he also fits the style of play of Josh Allen, where Josh Allen's going to be able to roll out, make plays happen. And he's going to be a guy who can just release into space and actually catch the football. So I'm not saying he's fantasy worthy. I'm saying he's a guy to keep an eye on at least because it would not shock me if he became at least useful in the deeper leagues in the 14 team league, potentially in full PPR. It's funny. I was just looking to see what Matt Ryan's ADP was, although he does have that year on year off thing. I don't know if that's like a real trend or just something that I look at and be like, Oh, that kind of terrifies me. And Matt Ryan can't put it together two years in a row. So maybe I don't want him, but he's going 77. Drew Brees is going 88. Cam Newton's going pick one Oh nine right now. I, I get that he was hurt at the end of last year, but isn't this exactly what happened with Cam like three years ago that he had like the sort of down year. Everyone didn't draft him. And then everyone who did draft him in like the 11th round won all their leagues. Yep, and I was one of those guys because I kept saying to myself, what, what are we doing here? Why are we letting this guy slip so much? And another perfect example of why you don't overpay. Cam Newton might not be the prettiest quarterback in the whole world. Oh, he is, actually. He is, he, is obje- he, is, he is objectively the prettiest quarterback in the world. He's objectively pretty, even with the hats and everything. I don't know. I mean, the hats, the wardrobe, no doubt about it. Definitely the prettiest Joe, Joe. wardrobe standpoint. Very I don't know. Well, very another good. show. There, there, I mean, <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can rank the all-time best-looking quarterbacks. It's Kurt Warner and Cam Newton. End of discussion. I don't know. I'm going to have to do some homework on that and get back to you. I'm going to have to do some crowdsourcing. But I would say this. This is another guy, too. He's still going to run the football. I remember, Pat, that same thing. Remember after the concussions where they said, oh, he's never going to run the football again. And I said, what are you, crazy? Have you seen Cam Newton's ego? Of course he's going to run the football again. What do you do? He had one of his top rushing seasons the following year. So in terms of quarterback value, Cam Newton is fantastic. I would definitely keep Cam at that ADP over his other guys. and. He will get the job done. I understand right now that ADP, it's cooked in because of the shoulder issue. We'll see what happens. But seems fine. All the reports are good. Certainly, this time of year, you want good reports, not the kind of reports you're getting on Darius Geis. So you want the good reports on Cam Newton. And right now, you're getting good reports. So you shouldn't feel any worry about drafting him. So the <laughs> other guys that I wanted to end up talking about, actually, just let's talk about Superflex because you wanted to get rolling on that. I cut you off, and I wanted to make sure that it was. That's all right. It's I, your show. I, I wanted to make sure that it was a separate section because people ask about 2QB and Superflex a lot, and I just don't play in any of these leagues, so I don't really care. But, I mean, I have. Um, I don't know if I will for the upcoming season. But if I do, what is the draft <laughs> strategy in Superflex or two quarterback leagues? Is it to go – quarterback quarterback the first two rounds because in the leagues that i played like that that i've had a lot of success in that's what i've done you can absolutely do that and that's part of that strategy and you should be playing super flex because it's great i am the super flex uh champion not just like champion of leagues but i mean the champion of the format because if nfl football is based on the quarterback then why isn't the quarterback the focal point of fantasy it should be and the only way we do that is to go deeper into the pool and challenge ourselves a little bit and you've seen over a five-year span those leagues become more and more commonplace. And I think that's something that absolutely is the way to go. Why are we fighting over 90 point running backs when we get into the 12th round when we should be, and we let like 200 something point quarterbacks sit on the waiver wire. It makes absolutely no sense in terms of scoring. We should utilize them. So strategy for this, you want to get a QB one and you want to get a second QB one. Why? Because what happens is when you do that, you're able to create a relative position value advantage. What's fantasy sports about? It's very simple. It's about me outperforming you for as many spots as I possibly can. And if I could do that consistently above the fantasy league average, 
I'm going to have success. It's not that difficult of a prospect to, to lay out there. So you do that by making sure you get an Andrew Luck, a Deshaun Watson, a big-time quarterback early, and then backing them up right away with another top guy. And then get a third quarterback for those bye weeks because you don't want to be at a deficit in Superflex uh, leagues where you're playing a non-quarterback in the Superflex spot. It's not a good look. So check those bye weeks and get a third quarterback that works out for that because it's absolutely crucial. Plus, it also weakens in the pool a little bit for everybody else where you take a third decent quarterback, maybe a Josh Allen or somebody else, or, or maybe even slightly lesser than that, and all of a sudden you're in a great position to, uh, to turn around, have all your bye weeks covered, and you've taken another quarterback, which creates a, a ripple effect where people have to actually reach a little bit more. Uh, in terms of going quarterback back-to-back, I would still take the first four running backs for sure. After that, you can absolutely make the case for Mahomes. I think you can make the case for Andrew Luck in the first round as well. Uh, and then as you get down to the end of the first round, beginning of the uh, second round, excuse me, you would probably look to those Deshaun Watson's Roger types for sure. And the trouble is the biggest mistake people make is getting that big-time quarterback and then waiting. No, no, no. You get it. You double up like Pat Mayo says, and you go early and often, and especially if it's a PPR league, you can make running back ground up later on with guys like James White, Tariq Cohen. Those guys will still fly in those kind of leagues. So that's that's definitely my strategy. I don't like to leave the fifth round of a Superflex without two quarterbacks. Well, it, it just occurs to me that you kind of hit on it, where quarterbacks just score substantially more than any other position. That if you do end up with two of the top ones and you grab a third one later on, even if it's a Ryan Fitzpatrick or maybe a great backup um, as a fourth quarterback, because sometimes just having that depth can get you out of a jam every now and then if it's an upside quarterback or even potentially if you don't have a running back or any good receivers, you can make a trade at some point during the season and build yourself that way. But you kind of hit on it. The James White, the Tariq Cohens, it does feel like running back is the position to punt if you're in a PPR super flex. Yeah, I don't like to say punt, but I like to say creative. You know, I think that's the way to do it because I think punt sends the wrong message to people where they say, oh, well, just let it go. I don't believe in zero RB. I don't believe in punting. I don't believe in surrendering. I believe in having a plan for everything. And if you have a very simple plan, which is look at the running backs and say, where's the value? Well, there's a lot of value happening with guys like Marlon Mack. There's a lot of value with Aaron Jones. There's a lot of value even with Derrick Henry where people look at him and go, I don't know if I'm going to believe those last couple of huge games of the season. Well, you should. Because if you look at the touches and you look at the fact that really they found their groove, they almost made the playoffs. They finished nine and seven. I don't think the Titans are a playoff team this year, but I think they've learned their lesson, which is get the big fast man, the football and things will be better. All of those guys plus you and in the rookies like Jacobs and Montgomery. I think there's a real, uh, the real depth actually of running back in that tier of that secondary group that you can really make up ground with. And they, those guys look to be focal points in the offense, especially a guy like Jacobs. Yeah, I, I much prefer Jacobs to someone like Derrick Henry. I have no faith that Derrick Henry is someone you want to own this year. And that's fair. Yeah, and that's fair. And look, and I think Montgomery's another one of those guys, too. People are worried about uh, Mike Davis. Why are you worried about Davis? What, what has he ever done in his career that makes you worried that Montgomery can't beat him out? And, and his role will be very similar to, I think, what you got out of Sonny Michelle last year, if not potentially a little bit better than what you got out of Sonny Michelle last year. What do we expect to get out of Sonny Michelle this year, though? <laughs> that's the question, right? Well, for him, it's about health. Uh, I think Sonny Michelle is a fine running back. He's, he's certainly in an offense is going to keep moving the chains. That's a positive. There's real concern with the knee every year going into the years with him, which is why I thought it was a little strange of a pick. However, um, I think it's going to be more of the same. You're going to see Sonny Michelle miss entire series because they're going to have other guys working in that rotation. He's still going to be a bit of a week to week kind of guy where 
Some weeks are going to be really good. Other weeks, a little disappointing. The difference is I'd rather have James White in the PPR leagues for sure because of the all-purpose yardage, because of the 100 targets year over year, uh, because no matter what happens to Sony Michelle, if it becomes Harris against somebody else, it doesn't matter because the role of James White stays the role of James White, and that role in that offense historically has been very productive in fantasy. So uh, you can even go back to Deion Lewis a couple of years ago before he left uh, for Tennessee. I would definitely say Sony Michelle is a guy that I would prefer even the young guys to Sony Michelle this year. Take the fresh legs, take the fresh outlook. I think Nagy's really high on Montgomery. I think that's why they went with the pick and paid so much for it. And uh, to me, I think it's a no-brainer. I think you fade Sony Michelle just a tad. I don't think it's bad to have him on your roster, but he can't be like the integral part of your roster. He's got to be a an RB2, and you've got to have a Alvin Kamara-type RB1. So I'm looking at it right now. In PPR League, Sony Michelle is going 25th at running back. So he's the 25th running back coming off the board. That's ahead of James White, which seems like a mistake in PPR scoring. Uh, it's ahead of Tariq Cohen, but it's also ahead of Darius Geis and Lamar Miller. Would you take Miller and Geis over Sony Michelle in a PPR format? Uh, no, because I'm worried about Lamar Miller really actually getting challenged this year for the first time. Uh, if Foreman is indeed as healthy as they say, he should have been challenged last year, but he wasn't. And guys so far, you know, when everybody is in shorts and everybody looks good and everyone's in the best shape of their life, all the news on guys seems to be, well, he's coming along. He's a little bit behind all this stuff. It's not glowing. We're used to every bit of news being glowing this time of year, Pat. And the news on guys isn't. And that's why to me, I fade away from that. I'd rather have, uh, James White. But I'll take Sony Michelle over Lamar Miller and Guy Still. Uh, I still believe in that Patriot offense as everyone else should. Just because Gronk's not there, actually not that new. They played a lot without Gronk over the last couple of years anyway because of all his injuries. So I wouldn't panic that much. So the other one who's sitting right there is Chris Carson. Everyone's terrified of Rashad Penny coming and taking his job. Although the aforementioned Mike Davis now out of the picture, so he can't do any more damage in the Seahawks backfield. But would you go Carson or Sony Michelle? Because it feels like Carson's either going to be a huge steal in this draft or a guy who scores like zero points. Uh, I like to not have to make these decisions. I will take Sony Michelle, but this goes back to the earlier thing. This is why people get themselves in trouble. You take Aaron Rodgers in the second round. All of a sudden, now you got to go, oh, my God, now I gotta, I've got to hit on these things. I've got to be right. Why would you want to do that to yourself? Take the variables out of it. Take those big-time guys. Wait on the quarterback in the single quarterback league, and then you'll be fine. These decisions are just bonuses. This is your third running back instead of your second, potentially. So I, I, don't, uh, I don't subscribe to that theory if I can avoid it. I'll tell you this. Uh, Rashard Penny certainly has upside. I'm not going to doubt that. I think it's going to be muddy enough where it's going to be frustrating. I will stick with Sony Michelle again over him, but it is very close. And I can understand the argument the other way with Carson. I was a guy who owned Carson a lot of spots last year, so uh, I'm a fan. But at the same time, I just don't trust Pete Carroll. So if you're at the back end of drafts, I, actually, I want to ask you about the RPV as it pertains to like defenses. Just last round pick, because I never feel like, even if you have a defense that's supposed to be great, just year after year, we see that the best defense never repeats as the best defense. No, it doesn't. Um, uh, but some of the better defenses do repeat in the top five. And I think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of that. So there's definitely windows where you had the Ravens for a couple of years. You have a certain team that has a fantastic defense that's built in for a couple of years. I would be shocked if the bears didn't finish in the top five again. So I have no problem with that. Um, yeah. I think you wait to the last round, unless you're in a situation where the scoring your league has some weird wrinkles with defense. That's the whole thing. You have to kind of know. And, and nowadays there's so many wrinkles in all these leagues that we have, different scoring, different bonuses, all these things where they try to pump up certain things. 
So you have to be aware of that. Don't take it for granted that you just go to the end for a defense. But typically speaking, yeah, defense is your second last pick. Kicker is your last pick. And you make do. And I'm fine with streaming defenses, too. That is a that's one of those things where I think people realize every year there's a defense or two that comes out of nowhere and outperforms the expectations. And then you have a situation where you can stream guys or just pick them up off the waiver wire. Yeah, I, I think that streaming defense is def- most definitely the way to go. It's not like you could luck your way into getting a really hot defense. You know, if you pick up the Vikings D week three and all of a sudden they're fire for five straight weeks, that's fine. But you can probably easier find teams to stream against, like a handful of them, like four or five throughout the course of the year, than even if there's a crappy defense going up against them. Just use the Raiders defense against, you know, you know I guess Blake Bortles isn't starting anymore. But like for years, streaming against Blake Bortles until the one year it didn't work was like the best move in the biz. Right. And this is why IDP leagues are fun too. Because no, 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 that is not true. Do not, do not say that. Do not say that. Do not say that. Yeah. It's the fucking worst. <laughs> ban, ban IDP leagues. Get that shit out of my why? face. Why is it the worst? You tell me. Come Fantasy on, football is supposed to be fun. It's not, I, I don't want to have to go back and do like college level research for my fantasy football team. I just don't want to do that on, listen, just let me think it. Let me research to know that Von Miller is good at playing defense. Yeah. Listen, if I had to draft Von Miller and that was it, that would be fine. I don't need to learn another subset of like 500 players on defense and what they individually do really well. Just get that shit out of here. Yeah, Pat, even if you did, even if you had to learn another, you know, I don't know, 50 players, whatever it is, that's still just not even close to the, just the amount of pitchers in baseball we have to yeah, learn. Yeah, and you so know what? I, I hate to break it to you, Joe. Fantasy baseball fucking sucks too. <laughs> uh, this year it has. I'm not going to lie. Well, well, why do, why do you throw. think that everyone stopped playing fantasy baseball? That's why you're the golf man. Everybody's coming to you now. That's that's what's happening. That's why we're doing a hockey black book this year. You see that? Oh, I did. Oh, I, I, you're, you're doing a hockey black book? You got me on board for that? I do. Chris Meany's on board for that. Uh, we got uh, Neil Parker from uh, Rotowire is on there, too, and uh, Cl- Michael Clifford, too, from Dauber Hockey. So, uh, yeah, we got a black book for hockey. We're expanding the brand because, you know, we got to do more than just baseball and football. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I haven't played, I haven't entered one single lineup for baseball on DraftKings so far this year I played. I canceled my, we all agreed, my fantasy baseball league it had been running for the past 17 years. We agreed to stop doing it because no one cared about baseball anymore. It's it's sad. And you know what? what's difficult about it is they have some outstanding young talent who's really, you know, come to the surface in the last two years. And they've got exciting young stars. The problem is, and look, I, I said this on uh, with Paul Spore. We had a whole episode on Sleeper in the Bus where it was how to fix baseball. And my idea, and I'll run this by you because you're you're an outside-the-box kind of thinker. You're never going to get rid of the 162 games because of the labor union. But what if we sliced it in half? What if we took the first 81 games of the season, ran it like a regular season, and the second 81 games of the season is a giant tournament where you play pool play, and basically it becomes more interesting because now you're playing for something all summer when kids can actually stay up and watch they don't have school they can stay up late and watch baseball games and you run a tournament in august all the way into september and then you close the season by october right in the early october for a world series how about that i like that but here's the problem that you're going to end up encountering with any change in baseball baseball fans who are all like 95 years old they don't want to change that would be awful you're you're ruining the game joe how dare well, you? here's the thing how dare yeah, you yeah, baseball has changed so much we're gonna have a dh probably next year We've had divisions. We've had wild cards. For all the nonsense and everybody talking about the old farts in baseball, and I know we're off topic here, and they're right, 
all the old farts in baseball, they are, they are cranky old farts. But at the same time, we've had more change in baseball than most other sports in the last 20 years. So they should just continue to change it and do a better job because they were losing people like us who are, you know, fans or previous fans. And, and why? Why should they be losing it when you have a good, young, fresh product? You know, it's the no fun league. You want to win no fun league. It's not the NFL. It's been Major League Baseball for a while. It just, it's kind of strange. Like it's so valuable as a TV asset, just because it fills up 450 to 500 hours of TV that you can just, you run. And it's a very valuable property in that way. But I think when they do their next round of like building stadiums for MLB, I think they need to make them smaller. Uh, That's very possible. Uh, Then God knows how much it would cost to go to a game. I think the TV revenues and the big advertising deals give them a false sense of security that baseball is healthy and doing well. Whereas you look at the NFL by comparison, the NFL is just, you know, it's becoming this global thing now. And I've uh, been on a couple of the podcasts on five yard rush, which is a, a show over there uh, across the pond. And they've got a huge fan base over there for NFL football. And, and I've gone on, I was one of their first guests they've had, and they've grown exponentially year over year and they love the NFL product over there in England. So um, they're, they're doing something that you know, they're becoming a global brand here. And um, that's that's a huge deal. And it's a huge deal for not only the advertising, but also for the fan base to keep expanding it and expanding our fantasy game, too. That we love so much. Well, even when you look at the ratings for basically any single sport, they almost directly correlate with the amount of gambling or fantasy that gets played on them. Like when DraftKings first launched for Daily Fantasy, it was baseball and football, and that was it. And what have we seen over time? That baseball has fallen behind basketball and golf in terms of stuff that people play on DraftKings. And when you look at the ratings, ratings go down for baseball. Ratings have gone up for the other two sports. Well, the NFL had a slight dip and then went back up this year. That NFL is going to be king, but all three of those sports, basketball, not as much for me, but I know a ton of people like to bet on player props for NBA, but like golf and football are just fun to bet on. They're fun to play fantasy sports. Well, around. They're and it, they're, you're more user friendly too, Pat. I mean, don't you think that that's much part of it too, because they're so isolated. You don't have the daily grind. Yeah. The day, the daily grind, like phones killed baseball. Basically. I don't want to go to a game. Oh, that could last. If, if, I, if I, I, I tried to go to a game, I lasted like an hour. I was like, it was like the second <laughs> inning. I was like, I'm going to be here for five hours. I got things to do. I can just go home and watch this or stream well, it on the radio. The on-demand culture we live in too, where we're so used to getting things and having things be exciting and all that stuff and seeing the things we want to see. So our attention span is, has evolved as it were. And that's why I think baseball should evolve with it uh, again cut the season in half, make it a playoff. And just like everyone's excited about the NBA playoffs and a giant kind of tournament feel of that, or people are excited about March Madness. Why wouldn't people be excited to watch round robin tournaments in baseball too, especially in the summertime? We'll give it a little bit of life. Just imagine if we were sitting here today, day after the all-star game, and all of a sudden the playoffs started tomorrow, how much of a, Oh, it's the all-star game. And then we, boom, we go into playoffs next week. Oh my God, that would be incredibly exciting. Wouldn't it? It'd be all right. I don't know if they, baseball would get me back okay. at that point, though. Maybe not incredibly. Not for you. I understand. F- you need a lot more to get started. Fantasy baseball league should end at the all-star break, for one thing, and then people can just focus on football, what they actually care about. And then, two, during the regular season, there should be no extra innings. It should just be a home run derby to see who wins. People love home <laughs> run derbies. <laughs> they do. They do. Hey, I'm ending my home league in September 1st this year Smart. because I don't like September call-ups and all that stuff, and everybody was like, yes. Let's do that. September 1st, that's perfect. Get it done before football season starts up. And that seems to be a very popular choice I made. Yeah, shortening baseball is the most popular thing ever with people who are, like, currently involved in baseball. It's like, hey, let's cut it by three months. Let's cut it by two months. You're like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, all the NFL people who got tuned in for this are all mad now. Like, why are you even talking about this? All right. Well, I'll get to, I mean, if the viewers are mad, I'll get to some viewer questions that got submitted. Uh, so let me ask you about some of this stuff. Damian Williams is a pretty hot topic so far this year. Justin asks, uh, he plays on <laughs> arguably the best offense with a head coach whose running backs always produce, was productive in limited starts but he couldn't beat out Spencer Ware at the beginning of last year. It took Spencer Ware getting hurt and Kareem Hunt getting suspended for Damian Williams to actually get this starting role. Like, where do you draft Damian Williams? Uh, I have a problem with the ADP of Damian Williams right now. And uh, all the things that the, the question says are all correct, and that is good logic. But we can often take logic and throw it out the window when it comes to the NFL because that automatic addition by subtraction is not always work. We've seen it happen so many times. I mean, I mean, I remember when C.J. Spiller came into that Darren Sproles role in New Orleans and everybody went, oh, my God, it's going to be so great. He's going to finally be that guy. And then it was cricket. He did nothing. So sometimes uh, you benefit from having the talent that you've had in the roster. And and let's be frank, Andy Reid's had some darn good talent over the years. Uh, whether you want to go back to the Eagles days uh, with, with Westbrook or if you want to go to the talent that he had over with Jamal Charles. I mean, he's had a lot of talent to work with, so it's a lot easier to have RB1s finish when you have talent at the running back position. I think Damian Williams is fine. My concern with Damian Williams, if uh, he does not perform well in the first couple weeks, what that does. I think you have to look more at the negative side than the positive side. I don't think enough negativity sometimes is built in to some of this ADP and uh, some of the guys going around him. uh, You're talking about uh, some of those mid guys. Like, I mean, there's no way I wouldn't take Mixon over him, obviously. Um, you've got the ADP up in front of you. Who are the other guys right around Williams right now? So Williams is going at pick number 21 overall. That's one pick ahead of Nick Chubb. I would most definitely have Nick Chubb ahead 100% of Nick Williams. Chubb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So does that mean you're going to draft more Carlos Hyde in like the 12th round than actually Damian Williams anywhere? Well, there's, there's again, those, the, the spin on Carlos Hyde is, oh, my God, he was on three teams last year and all this stuff. Yeah, well, he was, but he wasn't really ever given the opportunity to be very good. And look, Carlos Hyde is a spot where he was also a guy that's had a lot of injuries and issues in his in his career. But yeah, Carlos Hyde for free later on to hedge your bets. Why not? I'm not big on handcuffing guys either, but even in a deeper league, I mean, I think Hyde has some appeal, at least early on. If Damian Williams runs away with the job the first three weeks, then you drop him and it's and no harm, no foul. Uh, but a guy like Chubb, uh, even some of those other running backs we were talking about too, the Marlon Max of the world, I, I feel better about their role in the offense necessarily than Damon Damian Williams, who I've seen a lot of in the past. I don't know how he's going to hold up to the workload. I, I understand the offense is great, but I don't know if that makes him great de facto. It made him really good for a stretch last year, but a stretch is not a season. And I think if his ADP was another round past that, I'd like it a lot more than it was. I think I feel better about Aaron Jones too. Is probably another guy in that class of running backs we could talk about too. Um, just because, uh, look, I saw Aaron Jones last year. I was Aaron Jones truther last year. That's another very good offense. So why put so many eggs in the Damian Williams basket? Because we've all seen the downside of Damian Williams too. Well, Aaron Jones is going five picks after Damian Williams right now at number 26 overall. I would actually, I don't like the price on either of them, but I think I would prefer to have Damian Williams over Aaron Jones just because of the upside that comes along with that offense on the ground. I know that the Packers offense could be fantastic as well, but all of that runs through Aaron Rodgers. It's not always been the best producer of high-end fantasy running backs. And there's always just a chance, you know, you see Matt LeFleur get, get in there and, you know, Jamal Williams. If you look at the game log, if you look at the game log of Aaron uh, Jones last year, though, you saw a ton of touchdowns towards the end of the year too. And I think 
what the Packers are starting to understand as an organization is the same thing that uh, you're starting to see the Patriots realize. As the franchise quarterback starts to age a little bit, the best thing you can do is surround them with a strong running game and commit to that running game because it makes them more efficient. It also takes a little bit of pressure off them and also a little bit of the pass rush off them too. So I think you're going to see a little bit more of that as they, as Aaron Rodgers gets a little older. That formula has worked very well in New England, and I think it's going to work well in Green Bay too, of keeping Rodgers upright and keeping him healthy by leaning on the running backs a little bit more at this stage of his career. You're correct. Five years ago, not the case. But now as he's approaching his, you know, he's into his late 30s, I think it's a different story. Well, I mean, there's that also works twofold, too, though. Like, you have one, if Aaron Jones was so good, why did it take him so long to beat out Jamal Williams for this job? Maybe Mike McCarthy was just an idiot. That's a distinct wow. possibility. It was, it was more Mike McCarthy being just an idiot and stubborn about it, but that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, Aaron Rodgers basically blew out his knee in week one, and I feel like we don't talk about that all that much, and he gutted through the entire season that maybe he wasn't quite as mobile or as peak Aaron Rodgers as maybe we would have wanted him to be. And when Aaron Jones started rushing for all these touchdowns, the Packers sucked and lost every game. No, they did. And they also, I think they only won one game on the road last year, if memory serves too. So yeah, those are all true things, but Aaron Jones was also not healthy to start the year. So I think that's another reason why Williams got the benefit of the doubt from that. And he had more reps with the first team. And I think it was more of a comfort level thing. So the reason why Williams got what he got early on and kind of stunted Aaron Jones was because of Aaron Jones being behind and a little bit behind because of injury behind because of the reps. And then once everyone realized, Hey, this is not working. And then Aaron Jones came in and he was very solid the rest of the way. But look, once again, we go through the same thing. How do you want to build your team? How do you want to build your roster by trying to get as, as great of a core as you possibly can and take out as many variables as you can. You know, David Williams is your number one running back. I think that's a huge variable. If he's your second running back, that's different. If you went with Melvin Gordon and you backed it up with Damian Williams, I'm fine with that. That seems to be a, a mid-range guy. If you want to take Le'Veon Bell and Damian Williams, that's fine too. I get that. For him to be your number one guy, I struggle with that because there's potential fallout from it. So the other guy that's going right next to Damian Williams at running back, in fact, two picks before overall, one running back Dalvin ahead Cook. of him. What's that? No, Dalvin Cook Dalvin. is going two ahead of him. I like Dalvin Cook a lot, actually. But Todd Gurley <laughs> is going right there. And I don't know. Like, I'm just not drafting him because I don't know what to do with him. But, it, again, it's, it's, it's funny. I talked about Chris Carson either being like a steal of a player or an absolute bust. It kind of feels like Gurley's going to be that. Either he's going to be the number one running back or just be abysmal. <laughs> Look, I think that the one thing you could take away with this Todd Gurley situation is this. Um, yeah, they've added some other pieces around him. Yes, the playoffs were a bad scene. But all the stuff that I've read basically said kind of like you did, which is about Aaron Rodgers. He was hurt the whole year and playing through it. And then I think by the end, he was just gassed. So he's that entire offseason. He has taken weight off, which is, I think, always a positive whenever you have any knee issues to remove a little bit of the weight. Uh, and I think that a little bit better management where, yeah, from a fantasy perspective, you love the fact that he touched the ball so much, but does Todd Gurley really need to touch the ball all that often to still be a top five running back? And I don't think the answer is no. As long as he's touching it between the twenties there in the goal line, I don't think there's a problem with Todd Gurley. And I would absolutely take the risk with Todd Gurley, who could be a number one or number five overall running back that late over a guy like Damian Williams, who is nowhere near the talent and a guy that we've already seen a lot of negative fallout from in the past and other roles that he's played in other offenses. So uh, for me, I would take the risk with Todd Gurley there if I had the, if I had the pick and look, I just took him in Scott fishbowl in the second round. So I'm a man of my word. I put my money where my mouth is. Well, of the guys going around him in PPR scoring, let's just play a quick pick one name here. Would you rather have Todd Gurley or Delvin cook? 
uh, it's tough because Dalvin Cook's always hurt. So it's very funny to me that now it's like, oh, we got to choose. I'll take Gurley. Okay. Would you rather have Kelsey or Gurley? Because I would rather have Kelsey. I would rather have Kelsey because of the advantage and I can figure out running back later on. I like the rookies this year. Juju or Gurley? Uh, that's a tougher one because I want to see how Juju is without Antonio. Oh, you, well, unfortunately, Joe, you're not going to get that chance before the season starts. No, no, no. But I can, I can remove that, that potential to have to watch it unfold on my fantasy team. Um, I will probably take Juju in the full point PPR because I like doubling up on wide receiver and down low is where you get Juju anyway. So it'll probably still be Juju for me. So obviously then Beckham would be ahead of him as well. See, Beckham's a little bit of a different animal for me. I, I, I am, this is, a, you hit on my negative guy there. I, I'm not an Odell Beckham fan. It's not because I'm a Giants fan uh, and not, not at all, not even close. But Odell, it's, it's a new team, it's a new offense, great talent. Also, you know, the head is never quite there. And, and I, I would rather take my shot at Gurley in, in that offense and I'll live and die with that decision. Yeah, OBJ is probably safe, but I think I can get OBJ style production from some other guys too, uh, who are out there in that same scope, or even potentially who could move up to that range this year. All right, so the next guy that I want to compare Gurley to, there's actually a question about from Arkell: Is Antonio Brown being drafted too early now that he's in Oakland? Why are folks assuming folks? Why are folks assuming Brown will put up similar numbers in Oakland as he did in Pittsburgh when Cairo seems to be a hindrance to wide receivers? Look how Amari Cooper thrived, Joe, after he left Oakland. Yo, again, thrive? Thrive is a question because, yeah, he thrived for a couple games, which is what he always was. Yet, you know, I think we all forget Michael Crabtree was one of the most reliable wide receivers two years in a row, especially in DFS. I mean, a guy who was putting up 12, 14 points every single week. So I look at that and I say, I don't think he's going too soon. I think it's about right. I've seen him basically go in the second round in every draft, and it varies how late he does last. I think that you bring him in because you want to give him the football. I don't think they're going to have a problem feeding him the football. Is it going to be the same offense that it was in Pittsburgh? No, of course not. But if you take 10 percent off the top of Antonio Brown even 15 I think it justifies his ADP I'll take Antonio Brown over Todd Gurley as well yeah I would too what are if you had to set the odds on it like who would be the top five favorites this year to lead the league in targets I I would have to say Antonio Brown's probably the favorite isn't he him or Hopkins well it's definitely gonna be Hopkins for sure but but with Uh, with honestly with cutie around and fuller healthy Hopkins might not I'm not saying that he won't be be top five but I think that Maybe Adams ends up with more targets than Hopkins this year. Uh, I'll, I'll fight you on that one. I still think it's going to be Hopkins uh, because I think that he's one of those guys, the more he touches the ball, the better he is too. Uh, some guys aren't like that. Some guys, you, you pick your spots. And yes, those guys being healthy is great, but we've already seen a healthy Will Fuller not really kill DeAndre Hopkins' stat line either. In fact, it all just raises everybody because it makes them such a, such a difficult team to guard. Uh, I would definitely say Antonio can be in that mix. Michael Thomas is going to be in that mix too. Uh, in terms of targets and Julio is going to be in that mix. So that would be my five there. Yeah. It just seems like Antonio Brown, they're they're really going to have no other options. So they're either going to run the ball with Josh Jacobs or just throw it to Antonio Brown every time. Like that's, those are their two plays. And and those are pretty good. I I like that from a fantasy perspective. I like when I know exactly who's getting the football and uh, look, Derek, Derek Carr is not great. Uh, I, I get it. He's not, but He's also never had a player of the caliber of Antonio Brown on his team. So let's let's see what happens there. And let's let's see if talent wins out because most of the time it does. This question comes from Mike. In a 12-team league, what is the best draft spot if you could pick it? I think it's number four. 
Uh, I agree. It's four uh, or 12 for me. Well, I'll tell you what. It's four, three, two, or one, and then 12. I like the turn. I think if you get one of those big four running backs, it doesn't matter which one. They're all an RPB advantage. They all have uh, big upside for sure. Uh, Saquon, you have a little bit of question what happens if and when Daniel Jones takes over the reins, if they can move the chains at all. Even with Saquon, that's why I'm a little scared of the Golden Tates and Shepherds of the world this year. But to me, I'd rather be at the top four or 12 at the turn. I think the turn is fantastic this year where you can double up and get a Julio and a Thomas. You can you can really take advantage of, of what's going on there. Where if running backs should fall, uh, maybe you get two big running backs too. Maybe you get Gurley as your second running back down there. God, what a, what a scary thought that could potentially be. But yeah, I think it's towards the beginning or the end. Some people love the middle. Middle is tough, man, especially this year. Well, the middle's tough because if you get caught, I mean, do you react to runs at all? Like if you have a tier of tight ends, and I, I know the tiers are kind of choppy this year where there's like Kelsey, then there's two more, then there's three more, then there's a whole bunch, but like quarterbacks or even running backs that you see this tier run start and you don't know if it's going to make it back to you in time before anyone's left. Like at, at like if you're on the turn or you're on the ends of the draft, you can anticipate that and draft around it. It's just really hard to figure out what's going to happen in front of you uh, when you're in the middle yeah. of the draft. It is, and you can't dictate it all either. And, uh, like, for instance, I was just in the FSGA draft a couple weeks ago. It's a 14-team league, and I was towards the end. I think it was the 12th pick. And you know what the value is on the board. Nine of the first 11 picks went running back. So, for me, it was easy. I could either chase running back or I could turn around and I can double up on wide receiver and create a huge RPV advantage. And that's why RPV is helpful because it quantifies those tiers. It's not just about the tiers and the drop-offs. It's about quantifying it with simple math saying, oh, my God, it drops from 20 to then 10 to then 5% advantage. And that, that's a big difference. So you have to understand where the advantages are, how to take uh, advantage of the advantages, so to speak. And that's what the Black Book helps you do. But uh, to me, I think you definitely want to go down to that, that 12 spot, I think, uh, to, like you said, kind of wait and let the things come to you. And there's inherent mistakes usually. There's always one or two mistakes somewhere, and you can take advantage of them when you're at the turn. And then, like you said, watch watch what's happening in the draft, watch the runs, watch where value is and what's on the board, and then go double up and take advantage of it every time. It does seem like the turn is the best spot to be if you're someone who just doesn't give a shit about ADP. You're like, I'm going to take my guys, and this is where I'm going to take them. Like Some people just really don't like to reach because they don't want to be made fun of at the draft, or they don't want to look like idiots for taking someone who completely busts in like the fourth round. But the, if you're someone who's okay with that, I'm, I'm one of those people. I'll, you know, I'll pick a bust in the third round. Not scared to do that, Joe. But the turn well, is the best the, 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 the turn is the best spot for those people because you have to reach on people if you want them. Yeah, and, and I think the other spot about that is looking at ADP and things like that too. The one guy, or the, the should I say, the one group of guys that year over year kind of hovers in the same ADP happens to be the receiving guy. It's the guys like Hopkins, it's the guys like Adams, Julio, Thomas. All those guys consistently year over year keep showing up somewhere between eighth overall and you know fifteenth overall. So it's the running backs that kind of change year over year, and that's much harder to gauge. And towards the end of the draft is where you get to double up on two reliable guys. So why wouldn't you want to do that anyway? Well, even if you do care about ADP, it's a good spot. So if you don't care about ADP, it's fine. You like your guys, you like your guys. And if you do care about ADP, you can lock in two guys that year over year will probably, guess what, return that value. And I think early on, that's what you want. You want to build a team that's going to have an advantage. It's going to return value. That week to week, you could throw out there and be very, very confident in that core. And I'm very much about core building and understanding when to take risk and when not. And that's why guys like Fournette, I don't love. Guys like Damian Williams, I don't love because I think there's a lot more risk there than other people do. So this is an interesting question. This is more like the one thing that I 
I mean, I like playing in a lot of industry leagues, but when people talk about fantasy football, they talk about like everyone's really good at fantasy football and this is what they're going to do. And this is where players are going to be drafted. And that just doesn't reflect how home leagues actually work. So this is a good question. I want to throw this by you. I'm in a 14 team league that a lot of teams go quarterback pretty quickly, as in 12 went in the first nine rounds, some teams taking more than one quarterback in those nine rounds. A league where I'm 99% sure Mahomes is going to go in the first round, Aaron Rodgers too. I know a lot about value, but in a league like this, when do you actually draft a quarterback? I would say just completely wait. The team that you are piling up, well, everyone else is taking quarterbacks, should be awesome regardless of who your quarterback ends up being. 100%. 100%. You're going to have an advantage at wide receiver, at tight end. You'll have an advantage at running back. If you keep doing that smartly, let everybody else take those guys off the board early. They keep taking quarterbacks. If you've got six quarterbacks or eight quarterbacks to go in the first three rounds of that kind of a draft, and that is not an oddity, by the way. I think that's a lot of the casual football fans who like fantasy but don't really do enough research or homework. They take that star quality, name brand value, the guys that are out there. And look, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is a great investment, but at what cost? And it's at the cost of being behind a running back and wide receiver and even potentially tight end. So, yeah, I I would definitely, I'm with you. In fact, I would go all the way towards the end, and not only towards the end, but I would actually take two. That would be my answer. Take two guys and play the matchups as best you can because if you can utilize two quarterbacks, like a Roethlisberger and a Cousins or something like that, uh, or even if you have to go further down that a little bit, that's fine too. If you end up with, let's say, Brady outside the top 12 and, and Cousins, I think that you're in a spot where you can utilize, make the most of that position on a weekly basis, keep pace with all those other teams that have the Lux and the Watsons of the world and Aaron Rodgers. And then at the same time, you are so much deeper at your roster and the other positions. It makes, it makes absolute sense to do that. So that would be my approach. I'm with you, Pat. Just fade them all together. Just wait as long as you can and then double up and take two and utilize them almost as two guys for one position. Joe Pizapia, bye the fantasy football black book on amazon.com right now and follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Pizapia 17. Were there 16 other Joe Pizapias out there or do you just love the number 17? Lucky 17. I had to battle 16 others in order to get that. No, it was my baseball number after Keith Hernandez back in the day. Cause I was a kid who grew up in Brooklyn in the eighties. So Hey, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's Mr. Mustache, Mr. Seinfeld himself. Love me some Keith Hernandez, but uh, I appreciate you having me on brother. All right. Thanks for, giving us an hour of your time. It's always fantastic talking to you, Joe. I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the PME. Smash the like button to get in the draw. Rate, review, subscribe to the iTunes and the Stitcher and the Spotify and the audio podcast, and boom, you're in a draw too. Winners announced on next Monday's show. Hit the description in the comment section to check out any of the previous shows. Boom. That'll do it for me. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!